Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 65, I speak with Ruben Schechter, the CEO of Leadify. We discuss how he went from moving to the Gold Coast and dropping out of university without telling his dad to work in a call center selling solar panels to then learning digital marketing by dropshipping Star Wars posters. How he ended up spending $3,000 per day on advertising to transform the solar business and start a new business with his then boss selling leads to other companies. The hard lessons of which clients are a good fit and which ones are not, and his unique process on hiring and marketing that helped them grow 114% last financial year, doing over $6.6 million in annual revenue, becoming one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. If you're looking for Australia's number one lead generation service to assist businesses in growing through consistent, scalable, and qualified customer inquiries, check out leadify.com.au. That's L-E-A-D-I-F-Y.com.au. So I'm here with Ruben Schechter, the CEO of Leadify. Welcome to the podcast, Ruben. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, welcome. So can you tell us uh, what were you doing before you started Leadify? What did you study? What type of jobs or companies did you work in? Yeah, so uh, when I was growing up, I worked in fishing shops. Um, I've been an avid fisherman my whole life and sort of spent a lot of time uh, working in retail. I had a really good boss there who saw a bit of potential in me and he showed me a bit about the ropes of business. Um, So that was really cool. Um, I struggled at school, but not to the point where I was failing or anything. I got into law by the skin of my teeth. Um, literally got, I think I got like a 79 ATAR and my dad managed to convince him to let me in. Um, but I, I never really studied. So it was kind of me winging it the whole time. And uh, that continued while I was doing my law degree. Um, I got to about halfway through and uh, I think we have the unit of, I think they call them units, uh, constitutional law. And there was no way I was getting past that without studying uh, criminal law because it's all open book exams and stuff, uh, stuff like criminal law. I'd sort of pick it up the day on the day reading the books or the day before, and I'd do pretty well in some, but like the variance in my results was either really good or terrible. Um, but yeah, I hit that wall, um, dropped out, moved to the Gold Coast, didn't tell my dad that I dropped out because I was so scared because he thought I was, I, he thought if I was dropping out, my life would be falling apart. Um, so I had to keep that from him for a couple of years. Um, got into sales on the Gold Coast um, and I was really good at that. Um, but then my ADHD kicked in when I got bored and the moment I got bored, it all went downhill. And uh, yeah, I guess I just started playing around with internet stuff, um, came across Facebook advertising and drop shipping back in the days when it was a viable way to run an e-commerce store and was selling Star Wars posters drop shipped from China. Um, whilst working in a call center um, with my uh, business partner for Leadify, um, who's now exited, but we remain really close friends. He's just focusing on other business interests. But um, yeah, so I just came to him one day from the call center because I was doing this on the side and I just barged into his office and I said, look, we're cold calling here. Like I, I'm pretty sure I could get us solar leads using Facebook ads. Um, give me a budget to test and if it doesn't go well, then... Um, you can turf me back into the call center. 
Um, so we did that. Uh, I think we quadrupled the size of that business in the first 12 months of running the ads. I think there was one day where <clears throat> I really sort of got the hang of uh, how the landing pages should look and how the ads should look, which really um, goes against all conventions of a branding marketer um, or a brand marketer, I should say. Um, square, really ugly, um, but it just works and the conversion rates went up. So one day I just dropped a 3K a day budget on that ad campaign and I watched the Google Analytics light up like a Christmas tree. And um, yeah, the rest is history from from that point. Um, yeah. And if we go back to your sort of high school, you mentioned you sort of you struggled a bit. Were you distracted? Were you into sports, video games, other stuff? Did you just not be interested in school, or or what was sort of the reason? Do you think for struggling at school? There's two elements to this. Um, one people would not be surprised by, which is I'm very ADHD. The other one is, uh, which I recently found out as an adult, is mild Asperger's, but very very mild. Um, and he basically said you've used um, whatever intelligence you have. Um, which would be debatable, uh, but to sort of learn how to act like a normal person. But what that did was mean that I couldn't really focus on things I wasn't interested in, but anything I was interested in, I'd lock onto it and learn everything about it. And I recall my dad saying when I was three, I just knew the make and model of every car on the road as a three or four-year-old. Um, and he's like, in hindsight, that was a bit weird. Um uh, and then it translated to being a sports nerd as well. Um, but thankfully, later in life, it translated into marketing and business. So, Yeah, so you're sort of hyper-interested, hyper-motivated in things that captured your imagination and anything else you couldn't. And the nature of school is you have to be a broad generalist and, and do yeah. everything up until the, the last few years we get some electives. So that is that what really didn't click for you, that having to do stuff you didn't right. have an interest in? Like if you didn't care about history, you didn't want to study it and do it. Exactly, yeah, correct. And uh I, yeah, I just couldn't get myself to do it. And I knew I had the intelligence to do well. And it used to frustrate me a lot because I'd see people around me getting these great uh, test scores and stuff. And I'd be like, why can't I do that? Like, I just can't, I just can't do it. And it created a lot of tension with me and my dad. He's like, why don't you just study? I'm like, I can't, I'm telling you, I just can't. He's like, no, you're lazy. He's a great dad, by the way. But, you know, that generation come from a different time where, that that stuff isn't really understood as well. Um, these days, he's like, it all makes sense now. <laughs> and was he a lawyer himself, or did he just think law is a stable, respectable sort of profession? Uh, no, he's an optometrist. Um, but he and everyone always said I should be a lawyer just because of how argumentative I am. Um, I later found out that law isn't exactly about just standing up in court. It's more about reading and reading a lot. Um, and if you want to be a barrister, there's a lot of work that goes into getting yourself to that point, um, and that's not work that I was prepared to do. Yeah, you've got to go through the sort of solicitor path, which is a lot of deep research before you get through the barrister where you sort of hired gun and you come in and do the TV right. part that uh, that people see and, and like. And, and so um, you mentioned you didn't tell him for a couple of years that you had sort of left. So, so you were working a sales job at that time, but he thought you were just sort of studying and working part-time, so he didn't realise that there was no classes? Or yeah. Talk us through that. I, um, I found myself in a bit of a rut in Perth, struggling with the law, and I was like, I'm going to drop out. Um, I had about 500 or or $1,000 in my bank account. I was like, stuff this. On this day, I'm moving to the Gold Coast. Um, I think everyone gave me about three weeks. I think it's been six or seven years now, but... Uh, yeah, I got here and I told him I enrolled at Griffith, which I, did, which I didn't. I didn't even talk to them. Uh, and, 
yeah, I just got into sales. It always kind of interested me and I liked the ability to control your income in a way. Um, and if you're good at it, you could have uncapped commissions and stuff like that. So um, I found a company called ISR, now Switch Sales Training, um, and they trained me up on sales. And again, at the time, I was a, like, actually really interested in this. Um, and they placed me in a call center in Varsity Lakes, which is literally across the road from our office now. Um, and yeah, did really well in that big call center um, and just trudged on with that for a few years. And were you interested in just sales, like you said, and the uncapped earning and that, or, or did you have an interest in the product or, or you could, what was your sort of hyper interest in that? that uh, it was definitely the sales. I, I did work in a few different sales roles, maybe three or four, um, but it was definitely the sales aspect and I I had a lot of fun with it, especially cold calling, making people laugh and saying, it's kind of similar to marketing because we get to test really obscure the way we market as well as we do a lot of obscure things to sort of pattern interrupt people and I I applied that in early on in sales where I'd try say something really strange just to get people's attention and it might make them laugh and or they'd respect you trying to do something different and um, that was kind of my sales style. And um, how did your dad then find out that you weren't studying law and that you had dropped out? Yeah, after a couple of years, I had a sales role. A lot of the sales roles, as you might know, come with titles that are glorified titles of something that's just a sales role. Um, so I had a title that sounded right, and I thought this would probably be a good moment to tell him because he think he'll think I'm doing something okay. And I was making decent money, and um, I was happy and comfortable. So uh, yeah, I told him, and he was surprisingly good about it in the end. He was a little bit stressed at first, but um, life goes on, and you know. From that far, from the other side of the country, there's not a whole lot that he can do to get in my ear about it. Um, I'm not having weekly dinners with him or seeing him every day or living at his house or anything. So um, it was easy to just tell him and just be like, this is what it is and I don't <laughs> want to hear any um, cop any stick for it. And what about sort of your peers from like high school? Like, Did a lot of them go into law? Did um, people go in different paths or other into sort of business sort of pathways like yourself? I think uh, my mates from school went a lot of different directions. My best mate is a lawyer in Perth. Uh, oh, he's a qualified lawyer. He doesn't actually do law anymore because he didn't want to be a lawyer in the end, but he finished his degree. Um, and, yeah, a whole variety. Um, I don't have a hell of a lot of entrepreneurial friends back in Perth, but um, a few of them are dabbling in it now as they reach their sort of late 20s. And I think when you've got a friend you've seen build something and you've also seen them act like an idiot uh, on nights out you're like oh if he can do it you know <laughs> so um yeah I think that that helps people sort of know that it's worth a go as well and why the Gold Coast was it just a young guy and it's fun parties you know nightlife or was it just almost as far away as you can get the opposite corner of Australia so to speak um that it seemed like uh, the opposite coast away from all your family in Perth what what drew to the Gold Coast um, I'd been here a couple of times on holiday and I just really liked it. Um, not so much surfers and stuff, but, you know, the hinterland, uh, the beaches, the laid back lifestyle. Uh, it's a bit smaller than a, a major city. Um, there's a lot of opportunity here, which people don't speak about that often. Um, and yeah, I just think it's a, it's a good lifestyle here. 
And have you seen it evolve the last couple of years post-COVID and through that sort of transition? I know that talk a lot about sort of Queensland migration from sort of um, New South Wales and Victoria. Is that something you've seen having been there sort of five plus years? Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of it. I can't really compare to the past too much because I haven't been here super long. But And in the first few years, I was kind of finding my feet, so I didn't have a really good sort of um, understanding of the lay of the land here or what's going on with property. And nowadays I have a bit more of an understanding of that. Um, But there was definitely a big influx, you know, of people buying houses up here during COVID and the the house prices skyrocketed. But I think that happened in a lot of places. So it's not really a Gold Coast thing. Okay. And and so when did you first get an interest in marketing? You're working in a call center, you're on the phone, one-to-one, making a lot of calls, enjoying it. When did you think like, hey, this digital marketing, like mentioned Facebook ads, drop shipping, when did you, you know, selling little stuff on the side? How did that sort of interest first emerge? Uh, I think I've always been a marketer at heart. And I know that sounds cheesy, but um, that was my first real proper marketing. Uh, Actually, no, it wasn't. So the first business I had was when I was 14, I was importing fishing rods from China and selling them to local fishing shops. Um, and I had a blog, which I ran Google, Ads, uh, Google AdSense ads on a fishing blog and that, you know, very small amount of money. But I didn't realize I was doing content arbitrage at the time. Uh, and then later I had a Facebook page, which I organically grew to, I think, five to 10K followers around fishing as well. Um, then halfway through my sales career, I dabbled with the education lead gen business where we, you know, uh, generate leads online for um, courses and stuff like that. But I didn't really know what I was doing that well. Um, So the the Star Wars thing was my first proper where I knew I was properly doing digital marketing, whereas before I was kind of stumbling into it without realizing. Um, And I've always had, uh, without being a programmer or a super technical uh, tech person. Um, I've always loved dabbling with new technology on the internet um, and new opportunities and recognizing patterns that are emerging on the internet. And, and was it just like a little bit of a side income or did that sort of scale somewhat that drop shipping business with the Star Wars posters once you're fully sort of focused a bit more on that? Not really, to be honest. Like I think I was doing a few hundred dollars a week for a while. Um, but once I got the solar thing going, I was like, I probably can do a bit better here. Um, so I focused on that. Um, and I, I was really like <laughs> I was putting in the hours with that because I was I was trying to get to the standard of a US lead generator who the people I was trying to learn from. Uh, so I had a long way to go. Um, and so, really, were they sort of peers or friends you had over in the US who are operating in a bigger scale that you would sort of communicate with and swap notes with? Nowadays, yeah. Um, back then, more guys I looked up to and sort of watched what they're doing. Um, like early days, a lot of marketers tend to copy or look at what the other guys are doing with their landing pages. And in the early days, that's a lot of what I was doing, looking at what's working for them. Uh, doing a lot of ad spying and stuff like that to get a feel what works in the US Um, because here everyone was still stuck in that uh, brand marketing mindset rather than uh, direct response, put a dollar in, get $2 out. Um, So performance marketing was very new in Australia. Yeah, so you're in this job, you're in a call center, you've got a marketing background, you're doing some sales, you pitch an idea and then they give you the budget to try that and or did it work as well as you thought, better than you thought? 
a while. Uh, I think it took maybe a couple of months before I really had that moment where I was confident to drop some big budget, but I was sort of trickling along with smaller budgets, testing different things, uh, testing even people booking the appointments online uh, for the reps to go out. Um, and I was just a bit scared to really push it. Um, but I just found a found something that looked like it had some good early signs. And if I didn't get volume going for that company within the next month or so, and this wasn't a hard deadline, but just my feeling on it from chatting to James is that I'd probably have to go back to the call center. So I was like, I better make a big move now. Um, and it's also hard to make uh, a read on things without lots of data. So uh, if you're just spending a hundred bucks a day, you're going to get some results, but you won't truly know until you start dropping big budgets on what's working and what's not. Uh, so I was, I just went for it. <laughs> and did you get pushback from your employer at the time? Were they like you said, even if you wanted more budget, were they reluctant to spend it, or did they say no? We'll give you the budget to to sort of experiment. Uh, I can't remember, but I think I I think I had a rough budget for the month, and I was like, let me just spend about fifty percent of it or something like that today, and ask for forgiveness rather than permission, because it would be a lot harder to get permission. Uh, to do something as outlandish as that, but I was chasing, um, I was chasing some big results. So uh, I thought, let's take the risk and see what happens here. Um, and I know there's guys doing big volumes. One of the US guys was the main guy selling Australian solar leads to so Australian solar companies, um, and I knew he was doing big volume. And I sort of thought to myself, I think I got most of the pieces in place here. So if he can do it, why can't I? So I just put the budget on it and stared at Google Analytics for the next few hours and <clears throat> never seen anything like it. It just went from one or two people to about 120 people on the landing page at any one time. And it was really that extra budget. Like you said, you took half the month's budget, pushed it into a day, and that really spiked the volume and gave you the confidence to know that it would scale. Yeah, and and my biggest regret is not spending more, to be honest, because <laughs> those days, for five ten dollars and now mm. for solar lead you uh retail you're going to pay anywhere from 100 to 150 dollars um, yeah it's all perspective right at the time versus sort of one through the, the the present day and so how did you go from there to, to starting leadify yeah well i guess in the end the call center was only so big so they could only take so many leads um and the company could only expand operations so fast too um so uh, me and James had sort of floated with the idea for a couple months and um, then one day we just said, let's just go for it. Let's start a company. I said to James, I'm not building it for you. Uh, I want equity in this company. Like um, I'm probably going to have to do most of the work or all the work and the marketing and everything because he's a sales guy. Uh, so, yeah, we negotiated an equity and took it from there. Um started off doing a mixture of selling leads and also agency retainers like ad management retainers uh and yeah the rest is history from there i guess and so what was that first 12 months like like in some ways was it more scalable because like you said you don't have to service all the leads you sort of sell them and then the, the clients take them or were their parts are a lot harder because certain aspects of running an agency you hadn't sort of realized when you were the one selling you know generating your own leads for your own uh work it was incredibly difficult, to be honest, because I, uh, James left me 
in charge and he didn't micromanage me. He basically just said, go for it. And if you need me for anything, let me know. Uh, and I was basically like a kid with a bazooka, um, had no idea. Like I knew a little bit about business, but I had no idea how hard building a business was. I had no idea how to run a business, knew nothing about tax. Um, and the other thing with me is I love taking risks and trying new things. And every time you try something new, it costs you money and time. Uh, and sometimes that will also cause you to do a lot of things poorly rather than a few things really well. So that was that first year and a half or so was extremely stressful for me. Um, but I just persisted and kept trying new things, hired our first staff member after a year, even when I probably shouldn't have. But it was actually one of the things that really launched us at bringing on team because they supplemented my weaknesses. Um, I have some strengths around innovation and marketing and stuff, but organisation and uh, procedure and stuff like that is not really my strong suit. Uh, so it really helped us propel to the next level. And the other element to that was us finding our identity as a paper lead company, not an agency. Um, I guess you could still call us a lead generation agency, but uh, we refined our identity as a pure paper lead agency and set industries and verticals. Um, whereas before trying to get e-commerce clients, random service businesses for stuff we'd never done before. And every time you onboard one, you have to learn about uh, their offering. Uh, you have to optimize their landing pages and website. Um, and it's a ton of work. And I always look at big uh, retainer-based agencies that have scaled. And I think man, that is so impressive because it's a very difficult business to run um, because the churn rate with companies like that's huge too. Um, yeah. So, so did you find like the pay per lead was, again, just a better model because like you said, you don't have um, as much of the organisational complexity or it's easier to sell because here's what you pay, here's the results that you get. It's like commission only selling. You only you know pay when you get a result, so to speak. Um how did you decide not to go down that digital marketing path? That sort of is it more generalist agency or full service agency that most end up going down? Yeah, it was just out of frustration more than anything, churning clients, uh, having a few issues where the client, like we would, we were desperate to get business, so we were taking any client we could. That's the wrong thing to do with agency. You really need to make sure that you're onboarding the right clients. So it would just create a huge mess, a lot of work. Um, a lot of punches in the face, not literally, but, you know, uh, metaphorically. Um, so, and and the other thing is I come from sales and lead gen as well. I'd been doing it for a while. So I wouldn't say it's better, but it's better for me. Um, and it's just comes down to self-awareness. If I had already built a seven-figure e-commerce brand. I knew all the ins and outs of e-commerce. I could niche down in something like fashion. I've got a couple of mates that run a really big agency in Brisbane who've niched down into stuff like fashion and health. Um, I think they've got a couple hundred staff now. Um, if I if that was where I came from, that was my strengths. Uh, I think that would be better. Um, and I dare say they'd say that they would hate to get into lead gen, but. Some of the other reasons are centralization of assets, not having to deploy individually branded campaigns every time. So our structural force, for example, for business lending leads is we will have our media brand 
that we run the ads through and then the distribution comes from that brand through our software. So that same brand is producing customers for 30 clients. So it's all centralized and we don't have to keep deploying more and more things. And that means we don't have to have as many staff uh, to create much more revenue and also uh, leads for clients. And you mentioned obviously the difference between a right fit client and a wrong fit client. What were some of those early lessons or mistakes where you thought someone maybe looked like a good client, but then you realized actually, no, that these type of businesses or industries or psychographics don't actually make for a good client? Yeah, I think uh, I think it was lack of experience in e-commerce, which was the hardest one. We'd, we'd onboard e-commerce clients. And because I, I mean, I'd done a bit of it, but I'd never gotten it to any great scale. So um, I I was kind of learning as I was going, but also on the on the flip side to that, the clients hadn't really optimized their offering or their landing pages or uh, or even scaled the business themselves. A lot of good e-commerce agencies will say, we're not going to work with you until you're doing 10 to 20,000 in revenue a month on your own. Um, because that way we can, we can get you to the next level, but we can't get you from zero to 20K because that's for you to figure out. Um, so that's the hardest thing. And we onboarded a lot of clients doing low, you know, low numbers, really sh- like, uh, don't know if I can swear, but, uh, poor landing pages and websites. Um, and that just made our job really hard, but it also made us look really bad to the client. Um, and then if we were to fix that for them, then we'd be putting in a lot of hours and then the client would be unprofitable. So it's a big mess if you do it the wrong way. Yeah, so you realise you can sort of take Pearl from good to great, but you can't take someone from bad to good. Yeah. Um, and, and how did you mention you do very verticalised or sort of industry-specific uh, ones? Was that just, again, through trial and error or expertise or, or what sort of models that are working best on uh, that you decided Yeah, uh, a bit of both, I guess. Um, trial and error, finding the right verticals. We've tested tonnes of different things. Um, also... Verticals with uh, a lack of geo restriction are good. Solar is not one of them, unfortunately, which is make driving up the cost. But uh, lending leads are, you know, brokers can service anyone in Australia for a loan. So um, you can have the the data pool on your ad campaign as the whole country. Um, so that's a big one. Um, but yeah, I, I I would say a lot of trial and error, um, and also. Uh, knowing certain people in in certain companies and having a conversation about uh, how their offer structure works and then me and the marketing guys going, this will work or this can work. Um, we get inquiries from all different types of companies these days and um, we have to turn most of them away. And did you ever consider essentially going back to the old model, what you were doing in your job, where instead of having, like you said, generating solar leads for 30 companies, you, if you can generate all the leads, you know, you sort of service them or sell them or you just wanted to focus on what you were good at and not the actual fulfillment side, which is where you had less sort of interest. Yeah, we just wanted to focus on selling the leads. Um, we've dabbled with appointment setting the leads a little bit, um, but it it is a, it's a lot of work. Um, it's something we might look at again in the future, but for now I think we're doing pretty well just selling leads and um helping the companies that are buying the leads sell the leads uh, because we've got some good sales talent here, um, which some marketing companies don't know sales at all. They don't know what happens to a lead after they sell it. Um, Having been on the other side in the call centre, I know what they're going through and uh, 
what advice we can give them. So um, we work pretty closely with the clients to make sure they succeed and uh, when they succeed, they buy more leads and everyone wins. And so you mentioned the industry filter, the sort of maturity or size filter. Are there any other sort of filters that you sort of put your potential clients through to see whether or not they're going to be successful working with you? Uh, this, the sales processes is a big one. Um, one-man bands we have to be careful with because unless the guy's a killer salesman and he's going to dull the leads quickly, then it's a, it's a dangerous one. Um, because at the end of the day, if, if they're not equipped to handle the leads, then they're going to, a lot of the time they blame us, but we know that the same leads are getting a 15% higher conversion rate with the other company that's buying them and they're the same lead source. Uh, so, and, and that's even a mistake that we made in 2021. We onboarded a lot of clients, um, that had like had a, uh, a low first batch buy. Um, now we've got higher first batch buys, which helps weed out guys who are ready to spend proper money on their growth, as opposed to guys who just want to dabble with it. And the guys who want to just dip their toe in the water are not quite ready. It's the guys who are ready to have a proper crack at it. Um, and once they've made a financial commitment of four or five grand on leads, you know, they're probably going to take it seriously. If they've only had to spend 800 or a thousand bucks, they might not take it as seriously. Uh, so that's, that's another thing as well. Yeah. It's having that capacity as well to invest, to grow, to service it. Um, especially if they've got sort of staff and it's not just them. And, and so after those sort of early, um, challenges and struggles, you really sort of found your stride growing 114% last financial year, doing over 6.6 .6 million in annual revenue, becoming, you know, one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So what was that like? Like there's the, the challenges of not succeeding. But there's also the challenges of succeeding. Once you're sort of rapidly onboarding all these new clients and growing, what were some of those growing pains like? Uh, I think the one I touched on before is definitely one of them, onboarding the wrong clients and then having these sort of dips, uh, uh, like troughs and then peaks as well. So over the last year and a half to two years, we've uh, stabilised a bit more where the growth curve is a bit more consistent. Um, uh, what else? I, I guess... Uh, <sighs> What about like staff? Like you mentioned, you know, you kept it quite lean early on. Um, it was you and your business partner for the first year. After you sort of added a person, you mentioned sort of managing people isn't your strong suit. What was that process like of getting your brain into sort of, you know, a team and a system and not just, you know, a, a one-man sort of marketing person? Uh, I, that was a challenge, but it was a challenge I really enjoyed. Um, I'm really, really proud of the team that we've got here and it was formed by getting the right people early in positions and then elevating them to leadership. And then they permeate that culture and development through uh, the rest of the team as we hire them. Um, but honestly, I, I've had a really good experience hiring people. Um, my hiring processes are very different to most companies. And I just threw the rule book out um, and my, my way of interviewing is I've seen the resume. I know what their experiences are. Um, I feel like I have a decent read on them and then I just talk to them about the human that they are. Um, my theory on hiring is if they're a good human being and you'd be you'd want to be friends with them, uh, they're intelligent and they've got a great attitude towards work and growth, uh, then they're very easy to teach whatever you want them to teach as long as you're putting them in the right positions. You're not trying to turn an a operations, very organised person into a creative marketer. Um, you can teach someone with a good attitude anything. And I think that's why we've had a really good experience with staff so far. 
And I mean, did you look for certain backgrounds? Like, were you hiring people with a sales background or understood more of that sort of bottom of the funnel? Were you hiring people from like a, a performance marketing background? Were you getting people, like you said, good attitude, good aptitude, but not a marketing background? And you sort of trained them in your systems? What was your sort of type of yeah. process for that? Uh, well, the thing is with uh, media buying, which is the guys who put, submit ads and do the creatives and stuff, is when I started hiring media buyers, it wasn't a role in Australia at all. So I kind of just had to lean into the other aspects that I talked about, which is the attitude and personality and intelligence and train them from the ground up. Thankfully, though, my CMO, Matt, who was our second employee, I found him in a Facebook ad buyers group on Facebook. Um, I just put a post up in there looking for a media buyer in Queensland. Um, he was living in Tamworth at the time, but he'd done over a million in revenue on his own e-commerce store when he was 18, 19. Um, but uh, he was just looking to join a team um, and didn't like the stress of doing it all on his own. So I brought him up and he knew a bit of media buying, but I taught him the lead gen way, which is obviously quite different. Um, and then he's been able to pass that on to uh, the other media buyers that have come through. But I, I, I do look for people from obscure places as well. Um, uh, Simba, one of our media buyers, he was working at Culture Kings. Um, he just emailed me so many times that I just couldn't say no to him. And I, I just loved his email manner. I loved his tenacity. Reminded me of myself when I was trying to get a job at the fishing shop when I was a kid. I just emailed every fishing shop in Perth until someone would give me a chance at, at working at one. Um, and it just reminded me of that. Um, so, yeah, he comes he comes from a different background altogether. Um, <clears throat> Mark, and our, who runs our partnerships and sales, he was dealing with influencers at High Smile. Um, so, yeah, I like to pluck people from different places where I think they have the right skill set. And the other thing is I like blank slates. I like people that don't have prejudices and biases of how things should be done. Um, we do things our own way here. So it's better if you're a blank slate with a, uh, a keen, uh, keen to learn and keen to try new ideas. And uh, that's how I think we've got good uh, connection between the team as well, because uh, they've all learned what they do from scratch mostly. And do you ever bump into like other marketing providers with a client? So you're doing the paper lead and you're very focused on that, but they have a branding agency, a strategy agency, a out of home, offline sort of media buying agency, other sort of providers. And do you have a sort of clash or again, you stick in your lane, they sort of do it and, and it sort of works in a complementary way? Yeah, often. And it doesn't bother us at all. We even like most of our larger clients buy leads from other lead suppliers. Um, and in fact, I often say to them, I think that's probably the smart thing to do because if you're just over-relying on one channel, then that's probably not a good way to run a large business on customer acquisition. Um, a lot of clients do their own ads, but they mostly tell us they can't get them as cheap as what they buy them from us for the same quality. Uh, so it's, it's just a matter of being confident in our ability to do what we do uh, and People will come to us and, and also clients appreciate that they can actually come to us and ask us about different marketing agencies or different offers or proposals they've had and we're not going to get offended or upset. We'll give them legitimate advice on, yeah, that looks good or um, ask them about this. Uh, we do stuff like that all the time. And, I mean, some people 
say that, you know, like a marketing business should be able to sort of generate clients using the product that's sort of selling. And sometimes it's, you know, it depends because certain marketing channels work well for certain industries. But have you found you've been able to generate your own clients through the exact same methods that you use with your clients? Yeah, 100%. We um, we get most of our clients using our own Leadify branded digital campaigns on Facebook and Google, um, YouTube, stuff like that. Um, yeah, it remains a really strong channel for us. So I think it's just about crafting really good creative and uh, it builds a lot of trust on the front end with the client because we turn them into a lead and we're about to sell them leads. Um, and we often have clients say that on the sales call. So it builds a lot of trust. Yeah, that they've come in through the same process and product that you're selling in essence. Yeah. And what were some of the best parts of growing? You mentioned having a team behind you was great. Was it also, you know, being able to do bigger experiments, collect more data essentially because you're you're running at a bigger scale and more media for more clients? What were some of those other, as you've grown, those really good parts? Uh, I think one of the really good parts is being able to test different things and build different things. Uh, we're building our own proprietary software in-house as well, and we've been developing that for a year and a half, and um, that's currently in what you'd probably call alpha testing, um, and it's pretty much at MVP phase now. Uh, so stuff like that I really love because I don't really like doing the same things all the time, and I like to push the boundaries, and I like to think about why hasn't this been done or uh, stuff like that. I guess that the hardest thing for me is not to get shiny object syndrome too often um, and try and consolidate those efforts into a few rather than tons of different ones. Otherwise, they all end up getting half done or done poorly. And, and is there something in particular that software will do or is it sort of, again, in that pre-launch phase so you can't go into too many details yet? Yeah, I can't go into too many details, but basically it's uh, it leads into our lead distribution system. The softwares that we use at the moment, I'm not entirely uh, impressed by them. They don't get updated very often. They're legacy softwares that, because I mean, this sort of lead gen has been around in the States for a long time now, um, and they were developed in the early days of that. Uh, one of them's almost 20 years old. Uh, so, but they're just making a lot of money licensing them out and they're not really bothering updating them. There's a lot of features that I'd like to see added in. Uh, obviously with AI becoming more popular now, there's uh, a lot of different things that we could do, um, understanding the data, um, and, uh, using that AI to make better decisions around data and, um, for the buyers, lead purchases as well, stuff like lead scoring. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about what we can do in that space. Yeah, and you've mentioned obviously looking to the US and other markets for inspiration and trends and ideas and information. What what trends do you see sort of in entrepreneurship in Australia, work across all these different verticals, business, obviously fingers on the pulse of what consumers are doing. What are Australian businesses doing well and then where are Australian businesses leaving room for improvement compared to maybe other big global markets? Yeah, I think... uh... I'm going to lean into the marketing side because I'm a bit tunnel vision in in what we do. I'm obviously really interested in um, the general business space, but I, I am very tunnel vision in, in what we do. One thing I am seeing more is uh, businesses understanding customer acquisition a lot better and not so much just cold calling, um, emailing, LinkedIn. They're all great and they definitely work, don't get me wrong, uh, but understanding customer acquisition at scale better rather than just hoping and praying with even like referrals as well, which is the one thing a lot of our customers are trying to get away from when it comes to reliance in customer acquisition. Uh, so 
a deeper understanding of where to get customers from maturity around lead generation where they're not as scared of it anymore. I think because, and this is partly due to uh, the companies in the space, a lot of them act in, uh, act quite like, uh, I don't know if opaque is the right word, but they don't uh, want to tell you how they do it. They, some engage in dodgy practices. Uh, their websites mostly are poorly built and there's no team members listed on the website. So it's like, who's even behind this thing? Uh, and then they get on the, f- and then a company will get on the phone with them and they'll promise them the world. I mean, I've, through James's solar company, I've tested tons of lead gen companies in Australia, bought their leads for the solar call centre. Uh, and I was honestly a bit disappointed in most of them promised this and it ended up like well below what they promised. And I think there's just a lot of, I think that's created a lot of angst around business owners not really understanding how to do it. But now as we mature in uh, lead generation in particular, there's a whole new world of customer acquisition for every business in Australia. You know, we don't do every vertical, but uh, there's, I, I think we'll see more of these micro lead gen businesses popping up. You know, the guy who specializes in getting appointments for dentists and generating leads like that, um, agencies are doing it. But I think we're going to see a lot more of a gig economy around lead gen as well. Um, and I think that it will mature as a space. And I'd really like to push uh, the lead gen space in Australia to be more professional um, because some of the practices concern me a little bit. And, I mean, do you see Australian marketers often one step behind, you know, some of the other big sort of glo- big markets like the US? Or do you see, again, a lot of innovation and new ideas being sort of run in Australia that aren't even, you know, a, a direct sort of copy of what's happening elsewhere, but are sort of paving new ground? Uh, there are marketers doing really awesome things. I mean, you look at like Eucalyptus who do the uh, ED ads and stuff. They Some of their creators are unreal. And the way they used uh, humour and stuff like that to grow is really impressive. Um, so, yeah, there's tons of marketers doing really good stuff. But for the most part, I think there a lot of people are stuck in best practices um, and best practices aren't really what push things forward. Um, so, yeah, I think, I Can think you say a- more on that? Like, is there something where you've seen, is it staff you've hired? Is it clients are afraid because two other agencies told them something and you're a bit on left field and they're sort of stuck? Uh, not so much from staff um, because we kind of teach them our own way from the start. But uh, I see it more so in it's a lot, I guess, I guess a lot of, the best marketers in Australia do most of their work over in the US, if that makes sense. And they're not working for fintechs or um, actually there's a few I know that are working for fintechs that are incredible, but um, most of them are running their own brands, running their own agencies, and they're more focused on the US because it's a bigger market. Um, So we lose a lot of talent in that regard. Um, They're still here in Australia. I know tons of them, but they do most of their business running ads in the States and around the world. So um, that's kind of where we lose out a little bit. Um, But I think it'll get better uh, as as time goes on. And um, also the the competitiveness of guys who are doing it really well will force them to become better. And do you think it's easier to get the information now? You said for someone who's driven, motivated, they want to educate themselves to be a great marketer, whether in-house or in an agent's environment, it's a lot easier to access information or in sometimes is there too much information, it's hard to know, you know, who's a good source of information and who's not? 
It's far more the latter. There's way too much information, especially for digital marketing. There's, you, if you don't know where to start, you're going to go down the wrong path more times than you're not. So, uh, And there's a lot of guys selling info products in marketing as well. And like a lot of these courses that guys sell are based off things they did in 2020 and 2019. Like it's old courses as well sometimes. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, to be honest. Um, I would suggest that anyone who wants to get into performance marketing should look up uh, affiliate marketing. And I don't mean running a blog with links on it. I mean proper direct response affiliate marketing. If you can master that, then you'll be a good performance marketer. They're the best marketers in the world. So what would you say to someone who's 18 to 21 years old, they're interested in business, they're interested in marketing, maybe they're not sure, do they want to do performance marketing? Do they want to find their feet in a different part of the marketing world? Because it's you know, obviously there's so many different aspects from you know PR to SEO to other sort of spaces. But what would you say to someone who's um, at that age and trying to figure out what to do in, in their sort of marketing journey? Yeah, like anything, I guess you need to start with self-awareness about uh, what your strengths are and what your interests are. If you're not interested in it, you're not going to like it anyway. Um, so there's a there's a million different forms of marketing you could get into. If you're a writer, then get into SEO. Um, if you've got a design brain, then get into building websites and um, you can build the SEO from there um, using other people or using services. Uh, if you are entrepreneurial, I would say uh, building a brand or getting into affiliate marketing would be the way to go. Um, affiliate marketing requires you to learn every single facet of uh, advertising in a way. You've got to learn copywriting. You've got to learn how to deploy ads and run ads on platforms successfully. Uh, it requires you to understand how data works. It requires you to have some basic programming around setting up APIs and tracking. Uh, and yeah, it requires you to be at the top of your game because you're getting paid on the leads or sales you make. So if you don't make any sales, then you've just burnt your own money and there's no better way to learn. And are there products that you think or services that lend themselves better to sort of like, again, you've found industries at work and what you do, are there sort of things that people might think, oh, I could do affiliate marketing for books, but, you know, that's not good versus affiliate marketing for, you know, higher ticket items or digital products versus traditional products or? Yeah, uh, I guess there's a lot of different products you can look at on uh, affiliate networks like ClickBank and things like that i've never run any affiliate offers for e-commerce brands because i just find e-commerce too hard these days personally and there's a lot of guys who do it really well but personally i just find it incredibly difficult um lead gens are always a really good place to start because uh, it's low friction to get someone to fill out a form um, and the scalability is often there um, especially if you look at uh, us or canada um, so that's probably, that would probably be where I start. Problem is, is if you're an affiliate marketer in Australia, there is no proper affiliate networks in Australia. Uh, there's a few lead gen companies that take on affiliates. Um, and we've got a couple affiliates, but guys that we really trust. Um, so you kind of have to look overseas and that requires you to be brave and to start understanding foreign markets. And, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but if you're really serious about making big money and, um, and you have an entrepreneurial brain and you want to, uh, become an incredible marketer, um, then that's probably the best way to go. But if you if you want to get a job at a big company and work your way up a corporate ladder, um, then I would specialise in something, uh, whether it be SEO, PPC, uh, whatever. Yeah, and, and 
zooming back into sort of leader five, what's the next five years look like for you guys? Do you have a particular sort of medium-term direction or vision? You've mentioned overseas markets. Is that something you want to focus on? You've mentioned custom software development is becoming more of a product or a SaaS-type business. What are your sort of thoughts on the future? Yeah, uh, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, Expansion into new uh, geos is definitely a big one. Uh, Expansion in general is obviously a big one. Uh, Also, um, doing expanding our offering to new verticals, not just by like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, native campaigns, but different forms of lead generation as well uh as i touched on call center stuff um so yeah we've got geez even for this year we've got a laundry list of initiatives that we're rolling out another big one though is providing more assistance to our clients on the sales side um and education around that um and the other thing which kind of ties into the software is providing uh our lead buyers more resources to help them succeed not just the sales stuff but within uh, a dashboard or something like that to help them you know get more out of the leads um because our success ties back to how well they do um so that's a that's a really good place for us to invest our time and money and where do you see the clients go wrong you mentioned some are too small to service the leads um some probably not responding fast enough is it others like you said their crm their data their process are there any other traps for people who are in business they like the idea of pay per performance. You know, it's an attractive proposition, but where else do people tend to um, get caught up? Yeah, I, another one we see is if they're tagging the lead source in a CRM and their call center is really used to hot referrals from another company or wherever it may come from, like some partnership where they're just shoe ins, um, it can prejudice the call center against uh, lower converting but higher volume lead type. And then the leads actually end up converting worse because they don't really want to deal with them. They want the easy leads. And um, so stuff like that can really hurt them as well. Um, and just not having the right tailored sales scripts and things like that, if they uh, if they don't understand the messaging that we're giving them on the front end, um, then the, the, there can be like a disconnect between what they've seen on the ad and what they get told on the phone. Um, and then as well, if they don't have good nurture sequences outside of just calling them emails, SMSs, uh, and all these different ways to re-engage people, um, then they're not going to get the most out of lead. They don't, you don't, we don't want them to get too obsessed with how much they're going to make within the first week of getting that lead. It's what's the LTV, um, the lifetime value over, over the space of that lead being in their database. Um, and that's a really important consideration, but it's obviously quite hard for a business owner to consider that when they haven't bought digital leads before. Uh, so they don't know what the LTV is going to be in their business. So, but it's it's one thing they need to keep keep in mind on. Um, and they need to test a decent amount. If you just buy 25 leads and you don't do that well, well, you know, that next 25 could have could overperform. And we see that too. Um, so yeah, so getting big enough sample size, like if they're converting, you know, three in a hundred, they're not going to expect, you know, the first twenty-five batch necessarily to convert half of them, right? It's got to be proportionate to the overall data set. Yeah, and it's data at the end of the day; it's just a numbers game. Um, so they need to make a a decent investment in in finding um, finding actionable data within that 
um, and and actually testing enough leads to get through that. And some business owners don't like risk, and it does require you to take somewhat of a risk. So it just comes back to their personality as well. And, and how do you sort of gauge that? Is it like if they're not spending anything on marketing, they've never paid for any ads of any sort, um, they're probably not really going to sort of get it? Or is it other questions you ask? Or again, the upfront sort of minimum commitment helps to filter for that? Uh, no, not always. It, it kind of comes down to the person and their, you know, a company might not have bought any leads before or really have a good understanding of digital marketing, but they, they've they done a lot with cold calling. So they know how a numbers game works. Um, yeah, a lot of really good clients come from that. It more just comes down to the person who's behind buying the leads and um, by extension, the business owner, if that's, you know, not the person buying the leads and uh, their risk appetite, uh, their understanding of what to expect. But as we see lead generation become more commonplace in Australia and uh, paper lead, we definitely see a lot less issues with that because people talk to their mortgage broker mate who's built his brokerage up using leads from a company. So he knows it can be done. It's not snake oil. Um, whereas in the past, we used to get more pushback on it. Yeah, and do you have any final thoughts or words you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, nothing crazy springs to mind, but uh, I guess if you're if you're looking to grow your business, just keep in mind that um, leads can be a really good way to grow it. Um, don't get too sucked in by my referrals make me a lot more money. Can you are you able to scale those referrals? Do you have partnerships with other companies that? Um, allow you to scale that up uh, through them and it's not just an inconsistent uh, volume coming through. Uh, if if you don't have a consistent volume coming through of referrals where you can scale your business with it, then uh, don't get too caught up on in the fact that uh, bought leads will convert lower. It's all part of an omni-channel approach um, and don't forget to run your own campaigns as well, especially retargeting those leads. Excellent. Thanks, Ruben. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.